0: We believe nature is solid and time a constant. Matter has substance and time a direction. There is truth in flesh and the solid ground.
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is, wait, you haven't seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 189. And our movie this week was John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. And it's also week four of the Gore Podcast Takeover. Joining me to talk about this movie is the wonderful Monica.
2: Hello. I'm (laughs) Wicked.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yes, you are. The lovely Dreadly. Oh, hello. I'm Dreadly. And the Dreadly Faye. Hello. I got to make it different every week, okay? Don't look at me like that.
3: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, let's see. Dread, you had seen this movie before, yes? You're familiar with yes. Prince of Darkness? Okay. And Faye, you had seen it before as well? Oh, yeah. So, Monica, this was your first time seeing Prince of Darkness.
2: Yes. Yes, it was.
1: I had also seen it before. So what did you, Monica, know about John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness prior to sitting down and watching it finally? How familiar Um, with you with it were you?
2: I uh, in search of darkness, basically. That's the first time I was like I'd seen the box, obviously, like you, Mm -hmm. you see that box in the video store. So I knew it existed. I just didn't know what it was. And so I assumed it wasn't anything I wanted to watch. And then mm. I saw the documentary and I'm like, oh, crap, I got to watch that. It's Donald Pleasance. What am yeah. I doing with my life?
1: By the way, the the U.S. like VHS box art is awful. <laughs> I, I really don't like it because it doesn't give you any idea of what the movie is at all. It's mm. a weird, distorted face going into a bill. It's It doesn't make any sense. It's a terrible poster and a terrible box cover. Um, so... Yep since the three of us had already seen it before uh, and you had not um what i want to know is what did you think of it
2: what did i think of it
1: yeah did you have a good time watching this
2: i i really liked it yeah <laughs> it All was a right. uh, it was very i don't know there's just like i i want to call it like instant nostalgia like even though i didn't watch this when i was younger like i felt like i had seen this movie A dozen times before for some reason and it just felt really good the way that it was filmed just felt right i'm not saying it was a perfect movie or it's like you know my favorite movie of all time but like i thought it was a really really fun watch
3: excellent Uh, i mean it was carpenter and there was a lot of alumni from other carpenter (laughs) films
1: (laughs) yeah which we will we will definitely dive into so Faye, what do you think of prince of darkness
3: it's a it's a good one. I mean, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's definitely mm-hmm. up there that, uh, in in probably my top
0: fifty.
1: Okay, uh, Dread. How about you? Where where you stand on Prince of Darkness?
0: Uh, it's a good movie. I'm gonna say every time I watch it, I enjoy it, but it's not one of the movies that I watch a lot. If that makes sense.
1: That kind of does, because the movie, it, it's interesting. The movie came out in 1987. It was written and directed by Carpenter, and it kind of, it came out, its opening weekend it was number two at the box office, but it was the sixth week in a row that Fatal Attraction had been number one, and so like it didn't get any traction from there. It made like 14-something million uh, box office gross, um, which, given that it only cost three to make, uh, was pretty good. But it didn't have like a huge impact, and it didn't. The critics didn't like it a whole lot either. It had very middling to low reviews. I think its aggregate Rotten Tomatoes is in the mid fifties, and there was a lot of like, eh, you know, it's it is what it is type reviews. Um, but like a lot of John Carpenter stuff, it it gained a lot of notoriety afterwards. But this didn't reach the cult classic status that things like The Thing or Escape from New York. Or um, even Big Trouble in Little China got to this one. Sort of gets forgotten a little bit, and so I can that that perfectly makes sense. Where you're like, yeah, every time I watch it, I really like it, and then I don't think about watching it again because <laughs> it's There's, sort of you can sorry. do that. It, go ahead. It, it I
2: was gonna take go you. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I was just gonna say, it
3: takes a lot to get somewhere. It, it's a slow burn, and yes. when it hits, it hits. Well, um,
1: and. And that is definitely something that I want to dive into because I think it's what makes the movie work. but Monica, you had something you wanted to say too. so
2: I, I was gonna say there's gotta be a reason for it because i I had not encountered this movie anywhere before, aside from like the video like I said in the store. and I could tell you uh like how many I can't tell you how many I can't tell you how many times I've seen like big trouble in Little China or thing because they were always on television somewhere. So I think it must be something like that where it just didn't get played enough. Whereas, you know.
1: Yeah. And part of that. Oh, go ahead.
3: (laughs) I was going to
2: say it's (laughs) got a lot of religious stuff in it.
3: And that's probably a lot of the reason why you don't really see it on TV. So
1: there is that. But also this was an independent production. um, And this was Carpenter actually one going back to horror, but also going back to independent filmmaking after doing some studio stuff because the thing in big trouble in little china and even starman kind of bombed on him they didn't do well commercially and so studios weren't keen to like back a project of his so he said screw all that i'll just go back to making movies myself and um and went the independent route making it so now like as far as distribution goes like the thing is going to be something that is a lot easier for television stations to pick up because it's from a major producer so I think there's a combination of that—the independent film and the, the religious aspects of it—definitely uh, play into that because that's TV stations are going to be a little gun shy uh, picking up a movie that's that really ties in religion this much. Um, so it can it can be interesting. What what I think is kind of neat is like you look at the string of movies that Carpenter had made leading up to this because he had done it was Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York. Um, he, you throw in the thing Christine's in there. Then he kind of gets away from horror. Uh, and he starts doing, he does Starman. He does big trouble, in little China. He comes back to horror for this and it ends up becoming, and we'll talk about this probably later. His apocalypse trilogy is what he calls it. Um, and it's, that's an interesting trilogy that now I have covered all three of them for this show, by the way, which mm-hmm. I, I, I'm kind of glad about that. um, but it's an interesting like thematic trilogy that uh this slots perfectly into but it's a it it is a slow burn you nailed it there which was my only concern was if it was going to move too slowly for you but then as i thought about it my thought was monica i, I felt like you were going to like this one because there's some aspects to it like this is a horror movie that basically plays on dread and the that feeling of like <laughs> You know that that feeling that you're not going to come out of this in a, in good shape at all, and you're going to have a negative outcome, and it just slowly marches towards that inevitability the whole time. Um, everything does. The music does it. Um, the story plods along, and it just it's this it's this feeling of like oppression and and dread that you can't escape throughout the whole movie, as opposed to just relying on. A jump scare or or tension. There's a couple of tense moments, but it's not a tension-filled movie, if that makes sense. Like, you know how Halloween is all about the tension scenes with Michael Myers? There, and slasher movies especially have that, where we as an audience see the killer and we see the victim and we know what's going to happen. Like, we know that Michael Myers is going to stab this person or choke this person or Jason's going to take their head off or whatever it is. And so it's the buildup of waiting for that to happen. And we're just, we, we know more than the, the characters do. In this case, we don't really. And so we don't have that type of thing going on. So it's more of this just like feeling of how, what, what the hell is going on and then how are they going to get out of it at all? It's um, a lot of what so the hell
3: is going on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it really yeah. is. For those that aren't familiar, the, the basic storyline behind this is that uh, there's a priest. Played by Donald Pleasance, um, who recruits a theoretical physicist and a bunch of his grad students to do uh, scientific experimentation and and um, observation of an item that's being uh, that's been locked in the basement of a church for who knows how long, and it's this big cylinder of swirling green liquid, and then it starts to get it gets into this like human nature stuff. It gets into uh, a whole lot of weird, weird stuff. That basically, the green liquid inside the canister is Satan, is the son of anti God. An anti God being a being that existed long before humans and then was banished. So he put his son in this cylinder and buried it for thousands of years until the son could be released and bring him back. Is essentially the plot. Um, it's weird. It's way out there, and it's kind of goofy. But for some reason, it works for me, too. Like, there's yeah, something I mean, about that.
3: It fits right in with the other stories that deal with Lovecraftian horror or mm-hmm. eldritch horror.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of cool to see a story that deals with this cosmic horror idea without um, explicitly having interactions with uh, the old gods or, like, trying to unearth them or anything. It's like they just don't – they have no clue what's going on um and the priest decides that he has to bring in the scientific community in order to kind of prove it so that the whole rest of the world can understand what's happening because it it's ramping up um and so like there's there's weird again it's very high concept there's a lot of weird things going on in there but then i just like the execution of it and i like that mixture of science and religion and the fact yeah. that there's there's no there's no competition between the two the priest isn't like he doesn't have a scientific background, but he understands that he needs some scientific proof to try and and get the point across to other people, those that don't maybe have the faith, while also bringing some of that idea of faith to the scientific people, and like that that they're not they're not diametrically opposed, and also like um so Donald Pleasance is the priest, and then you've got uh, Victor Wong playing the professor, and Victor Wong's awesome, always. And I like him because he's the theoretical physicist, but he's kind of like, there's that line early on when one of the guys says, yeah, well, he, I mean, he wants philosophers. He wants people that ask these questions. So like, he's not a, uh, a cynical, um, scientist who can only believe in calculations and, and things that he can touch. He's got this whole thing the speech i played at the beginning which unfortunately the audio is not great because they literally recorded it in a classroom with uh, terrible acoustics um but i love that where he's talking about like uh the, the uh the feeling of matter and that time has a direction and all of this and like well what if none of that's real and thinking about outside the box so he's open to the idea of what's going on and then you have the grad students who are more skeptical of it especially dennis dunn Um, who plays Walter, who, again, another uh, Carpenter alum. Yeah,
3: Yeah, when he was running out of the church, in my head, it was screaming, I've got to go save him. I've got to go save Jack.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, I love that. I like Um, when
2: he freaks out in the closet, I'm just saying. I mean, that's a tense scene. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely (laughs) the... The most tense. That
1: that's that one scene of tension in the whole movie. Really, is him being trapped. And there's a uh, there's a writer who's written. He's written a bunch of books, and some of them are breakdowns of Carpenter films and Carpenter's style and all this. And he has a whole breakdown about how there's uh, this movie has to do with an allegory towards the AIDS epidemic. And um, the fact that there are some jokes. Uh, in play for Walter's character um, dealing with homosexuality and then there's that scene where he is being attacked by a bunch of women while he hides in the closet and I was like I can see it being read that way Um, (laughs) so yeah but that, that scene itself like the way that plays out what I liked about that whole sequence is it starts off he's just in there hiding and they just stand there and stare at him and that's the creepiest part of it is when they're not doing anything when they're just standing there, staring towards it, and he's just like, "I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck here. What am I gonna do?" Um, and then, just
2: then, he shines it, a light. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, can they're I, physics I, students. I'm just, I'm just yelling at them for not breaking the wall down faster and taking all those breaks from breaking the wall down. I'm like, can you people just keep going? Like, they're sitting there just like, oh, well, what about this? And no one's still working on the, taking the bricks out of the wall. Like, are we doing? It seemed
1: rushing? like they rotated, I thought. They would rotate people. But, well, yeah, know, but were... there, was,
2: there was the one part where they're going out the window, so they stopped doing that completely for oh, that whole yeah. part. And then the part when they're sitting there philosophizing or or planning, <laughs> whatever, and nobody's touching the wall and I'm sitting there like... <laughs> Dude's stuck on the other side. What are you doing? It was <laughs> well, like were... you're making this more tense for me. I need him to get out. He needs to get out. <laughs> they're
1: they're trying to dig through a wall with a table leg. So I mean, <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm surprised right. they made it. And Dred's yeah. just like, oh, they they can they can get through that. What are they worried about? And then they get to the middle, and he's like, oh, there's bricks in there. Never mind. They're never gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, if that table leg didn't have like <laughs> if the table leg didn't have that metal bracket on it, there's no way. They could at least chip away at something with that. But yeah, that was that was pretty funny. That's actually one of the things that I like about this movie in general is that it's this great ensemble cast and there isn't at no point does it break down into some kind of like action moment at all. Like nobody suddenly fights really well or you know, they're 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 all college students. They're all grad students. And they act like grad students. Um, which I nobody becomes it. a superhero. <laughs> Correct.
2: Oh, the window did, right, dread. <laughs>
1: yep. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and I also like that there isn't like a single character that we're meant to look at as a protagonist. Like kind of Brian. Um, but but sort of not like he's the one we see at the end, but he's no more important during the bulk of the movie than Donald Pleasance's character or Victor Wong's character, or anybody. It's a truly ensemble cast of just like everybody being involved. Um, we mentioned Donald Pleasance, Victor Wong and Dennis Dunn. Um, there was also um, Peter Jason playing Dr. Paul LaHaye. He went on to work with, uh, carpenter and a bunch more movies village of the damned um yeah escape from la in the mouth of madness uh i think ghost of mars too. i don't remember um but he's he's great for his for the the few moments that he's on screen like he doesn't have a ton of scenes but they're they're awesome i love his introduction where he comes in and they do it in a long take which is which is cool and he walks over, and then he meets up with Victor Wong's character, and they start talking. And just mid-sentence, Victor Wong just walks away, <laughs>
3: and leaving him
1: confused. And that
3: wasn't and, in the script.
1: Yeah, apparently <laughs> that either wasn't in the script, or he didn't know that that was what his character was going to do. So he's his visible confusion is real. He's like, wait, what's going on here? Why did he walk away? And it's just such a good introduction. Uh, and then he goes on to do his little mouth trumpet noise later.
2: <laughs> uh, him and Which is really trumpet. well
1: done. Yeah. It, it is. Um, so let's see, Lisa Blount, um, plays Catherine. She's the redhead and, um, she, I, I liked her. Um, I I liked everybody. I I don't think there's anybody that was bad in the movie, um, per se. It's just a lot of very small parts. So there's no, there's no real moment for anybody to have like super terrible acting. I don't feel like. Because anything that could go that route is usually by the time by that time they're possessed or or reanimated corpses, so you can kind of play that off as like, well they're not really people anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but Lisa Blount was Catherine. Susan Blanchard was Kelly. She's the blonde that eventually becomes the host of uh, the Green Goo. The Chosen. Yeah. Um, Anne Marie Howard was Susan, uh, the radiologist, mm-hmm. the one with glasses. That then doesn't Oop. wear glasses for half the movie. Oop. Yeah,
2: was that? So was the, a, and I didn't find that in the trivia. But is that something?
1: Just the the running gag of nobody knows who she is. Yeah, uh, I love Dad. It's it,
3: Nobody knows her there, name; just her job. It's yeah, like the,
1: there's nothing in the trivia about it. But basically, because what it was is, uh, the priest gets a hold of Victor Wong, who says, "Okay, I'll get some of my students," but they brought in other grad students so none of them know her from school because she's off in the radiology department
2: uh, I guess yeah so. but
1: they do the same joke with the same guy even
0: twice <laughs> uh, Walter yeah. they Walter. do it with him once and then the second time he's again who
2: Like you just had that oh man <laughs> can can I mention that the, fir- the, the, the first person that died uh, they killed Louis Skolnick like, what was that about?
1: From Revenge mm, oh, of the Nerves? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Did he
2: not look like him? Come on. Tell me he didn't <laughs> look like Robert Carradine from that movie.
1: A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Dirk Blocker as Mullins. That's a great name. That like, sounds that's, fake. Come on. I really, uh, that's definitely got to be a stage name. Like, he hadn't changed <laughs> his name. You know, it's like Brad Pitt. Like, he wasn't born Brad Pitt. This guy wasn't born Dirk Blocker.
2: Wait, he wasn't born Brad Pitt?
1: Pretty sure. We now I need up. to
2: know what his real name is.
1: Yeah, um, Brad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brad Stonefruit. Um, but uh, he was Mullins. Um, I also liked how the all the students like they were of varying, not just backgrounds, but they looked like like Mullins didn't look like he made it to grad student level because he had like he just looked like a. He looked like a out of work roadie cause he sort of had sort of longish hair, but was balding mm. on top and just, he just didn't, he didn't strike me as the studious grad student type. Um, but it worked, you know, there was all sorts of different ones. Cause like you had Dennis Dunn who, what is it? The, there's the line where he talks about like, I don't know why I'm getting into this and then it's, oh yeah, that's right. So I can be a millionaire by 40 and retire. Um, there was also Ann Yen was Lisa. She was the one translating the book. Um,
3: Poor Lisa.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse Lawrence Ferguson as Calder, who
2: <laughs> best laugh I, ever. Oh, <laughs> so I
1: just chuckle. The thing that 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 this movie made really interesting was you had, um, Susan, and then after her, Lisa, and then after her, Kelly, but they all get infected by the goo, by the the liquid. Mm. And so like Susan and Lisa, when they get infected, they just go just stone-faced and no emotion and move almost robotically. But they kill Mullins, Calder, and Dr. Leahy. And it's the different varying ways in which all of those guys deal with death and reanimation. Because like Calder t- kills himself, which was, uh, again, one of those scenes where it's, it's not a tense scene, but it's really, it's, uh, it's pretty rough because he's carrying that chair, singing Amazing Grace, and then just breaks part of the chair off and stabs himself in the throat with it. Like, yikes. Um, but then when he comes back later, he's got this laugh that borders on, it's maniacal and then it borders on like painful and it keeps kind of oscillating back and forth. And it's really weird. And then when Dr. Leahy gets killed and he comes back to life, it looks painful and he's confused. And Mm, like
2: he was like crying and stuff.
1: Yeah. And it was just it was interesting the way that they all were a little bit different in how they came back. Because then Mullins comes back and he's just kind of neck a little off to the side and and glowering at everyone (laughs) like he was angry (laughs) about it.
2: Well, yes. He wanted to make sure that you knew that he had broken his neck earlier. Exactly. And this is his acting.
1: Yep, that's all he had to go on. They didn't have any then, money for anything else.
2: When they hit him, when they hit him later on, his neck went back. So They
1: fixed <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That that would. <laughs> if this were a comedy, that's where he would have been like, "Oh, thank you. That crick in my neck has been killing me." Yep. But... Oh, can I
2: tell trope?
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: Uh, the cartoon foretelling the devil. <laughs> Yep. I love stuff like that. There's an episode yes. of Creepshow that does like the same thing, but not with the devil, but you get my point. Yeah. And uh yeah. It's cute.
1: Yeah, that was Tom and Jerry. Um and I it, the trivia says exactly what episode it is, but yeah, I liked how they they did that. That's that's one of those fun things to to see in movies. Um dread let's start with you. Do you have a character that stands out? for you in this movie or not really? Do they all just kind of like they're there and you forget about them? Well, the one person I would think
0: about was Donald Pleasance just because it's Donald Pleasance not really his character but as an actor so his face is like well, yeah. Uh, Also, the Brian's mustache deserves (laughs) a mention for being uneven. One side is longer than the other. And it's so so cool right
2: movie.
0: I forgot uh, to mention it's, him. It's, it's characters not really like
3: uh-huh. I remember How can you st- not like Alice Cooper.
0: Oh well yeah, <laughs> Alice Cooper
1: is yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh I didn't I didn't mention Jameson Parker as Brian Marsh, who's sort of our protagonist, but I think just by rights of having most the most screen time in the movie. Um but yeah. Uh, Monica, how about you? Um, Anybody stand out? Anybody not <laughs> named Donald Pleasance stand out to you?
2: <laughs> gotcha. I mean, I don't know. Like The only person that I was rooting for for any of the time was, aside from Donald, Donald Pleasance, was, um, and now I'm blanking on his name, but uh, Closet Guy. Uh, oh, Walter. Dennis, Dennis Dunn immediately loved his character loved him he was the you know bit silly and and whatnot like
1: and i was like do
2: not let him die if he dies i swear to god i'm out of this movie he like he's the person (laughs) i was like no no no, i'm done i'm done um so i just loved him (laughs) yeah that's it done
1: (laughs) and how much how much of that is because you like big trouble in little china and so you like him in that movie do you think there's some carry over there because I know uh, there is for me.
2: May, there, there was may, a lot. It's like he was the same character. <laughs> I mean, like I like Victor Wong too, but I, I don't think I was worried about him in the movie at all. So maybe it was his precarious position that also made me like his character because I felt like he was in some sort of trouble. And then I'm like, oh no. You know, like when when you're not sure if you love somebody and then like they're about to die and then you're like, oh I'm in love with them, you know that kind of crap. They didn't do that trope <laughs> in this movie though so you know I probably don't know what it means. Uh, but yeah
1: okay, so Walter that's a good one. I mean Walter is the one Walter is the character that gets put in that precarious position that we and and for a extended period of time mm-hmm. like it's not it's not a short scene that takes place over what probably 20 minutes of movie that he's stuck yeah. there it's, before yeah, he like finally the bulk gets of the out the
2: movie 15, aside from 20. the credits that were like 10 yes. minutes long.
1: Ten, yeah. 10 minutes,
0: <laughs> over 10 minutes for the last directed by credit.
2: <laughs> we're sitting there and, and like all of a sudden the credits continue. I'm like, oh, I thought <laughs> <they were> done. <laughs> like
1: what? It what? does that, doesn't it? Like they go like two minutes and you're like, all right, all right, wait, what? More credits. And they're just, they're literally just white text on a black background with no transition. It just flashes in, flashes out, and then flashes the next one. Um, however,
0: with amazing music. Oh, once again, just do
1: That's just so good. Okay, so I want to talk about the music before we go any further, because for me, this is not my favorite John Carpenter, Alan Haworth score, but it works so perfectly for this movie because there's nothing like super memorable about it, right? Like you're not humming the tune later on because it's almost all just that driving beat. It's just a little beat. Basically, it's like,
0: boom. It's all that it is. But it And it keeps going in the same vein as, as it is. Mm-hmm. So there's not much difference. Yet it stays fresh enough for some reason. And it's like, how does he do it?
1: Mm-hmm. He manages to have that driving beat. And then he'll, he'll vary up the melody just a little bit. But not so much that you really pay attention to it. But it's enough to feel different as you're going along. And part of that is because he doesn't score his, he didn't score his movies before watching them. So he didn't have an idea of what he was doing. He would just watch the movie. As he said, he had a 24 track recorder running through the film track with his synthesizers and his keyboards and all that. And he would just watch the movie and improvise and make up a score to whatever was going on. And that's how he, that was his process of, of scoring his films. And I love that. And, and it's that, Again, that whole thing I was talking about, where it's that slow burn and the, just that inevitable march towards this, this awful ending. That the movie has, and that music just drives that home over and over and over. Um, that, that lovely lo-
3: ambiguous ending.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. That it's and it's an ambiguous ending, but everything that's happened in the movie leading up to it, you almost kind of feel like there's there is no positive outcome from that regardless of the fact that they don't show it to you you just that's how i feel when i get when it ends like i don't see it happen but then my brain starts going in that direction of like well this isn't going well and, the, and nothing's going to be good afterwards um but uh i mean monica did you like the music
2: yeah it um uh, i enjoyed it couldn't tell you what i enjoyed about it <laughs> uh but it was uh it was fun it was fresh it was funky and i don't know it was really i remember it being good uh you know i only got a it was my first time so i didn't get a chance to really dive deep into it the way that dread seems to have done when his done it done and stuff well it's
0: <laughs> yeah, the music is complicated to learn this uh <laughs> i yeah
1: <laughs> it's what it is is the music is fitting and there was a piece of trivia it was a it was a a quote from Carpenter I'd read where he talked about like there's basically two styles of film score. There's sort of the film score that kind of melts into the background and you don't really think about. And then there's what he calls Mickey Mousing, which is where the music really informs what you're supposed to feel in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and his quote went on to say like John Williams is the probably the most uh, the the most well-known Mickey Mouser. Oh, hell yeah. In that the way his music is. Whereas a lot cuz a lot of carpenter stuff is very simple and very much kind of just a, a bed instead of like really informing how you're supposed to feel in a moment it's more of just giving you the overall feel of what the movie is halloween does that really well with that super simple little piano piece but it's so creepy and it just continues to build slowly and he did that here and so yeah i'm i'm a fan of this kind of soundtrack it's like it's weird because it's a soundtrack That unless I'm watching the movie, I don't think about the score of this one. This isn't like, you know, my Lord of the Rings score albums where I want to play those and just listen to them. Although I could put this on and listen to it. I don't think about that. And then I'm watching in the movie. I'm like, it's perfect. There's no other music I would want to hear here. Here. Here.
2: Um, Maybe some Alice Cooper. (laughs) There is some rock music. When you hear rock music, you know you're going to die.
1: So there, there is the one Alice Cooper song. Uh, so Alice Cooper is the, he's credited as a street schizo. Um, he's kind of the leader of the undead homeless people, The which is another thing that just is constant throughout the movie that, again, gives you that feeling of like, things aren't going to end well for these people. Because every time they look outside, there's just walls of homeless people staring at them, not moving, just staring at them, which, I'm sorry, I don't like it. And I wouldn't like yeah. it if I was standing there.
3: <laughs> and they were there the entire time.
1: Yep. And uh, Alice Cooper got involved in this because his manager was one of the producers of the movie. And so his manager uh, talked with Carpenter and basically they, they were like, well, why don't you write a song for the movie? Which he did. That's actually what's playing in that guy's headphones um, when he mm-hmm. leaves, the, the one dude. It's Alice Cooper's song, Prince of Darkness, that he wrote for this movie. And then they decided to cast him and they wanted to use his prop for the impaling with a bicycle. That was part of his stage show. Mm-hmm. So they and they used that and they cast him in that role. And he's honestly he's very memorable in this movie. Most of the images you see of it are either Donald Pleasance or Alice Cooper. Strangely, he's the only homeless person that's pale. <laughs> like like white yeah. pale. You notice that?
2: Yep. Yeah, I think he was supposed to be slightly different from the rest of them,
1: and or definitely was. Like that. <laughs> Which,
2: but I I love Alice Cooper because he he loves he loves horror. Mm-hmm. He's done the soundtrack for like quite a few, or like at least three that I know of horror movies, and he's showed up in you know a few of them. Like, isn't he in that uh, Freddy's Dead? Right, he's in Freddy's yep. Dead. Yeah, like that's is, just great. Better. Like, I love that he shows up in things oh, I yeah. love when horror fans make music. And we got the great man behind the mask for, um, you know, Friday, the 13th, six and, and whatnot. So I love yeah. all that. Put that in an album for me. Thank you.
1: Well, and like you said, he's a fan of it and it's influenced. I mean, horror movies and horror stories influenced his stage show. So it just makes sense that he would pop up in movies here and there. And to I think it's also smart for somebody who isn't an actor, even though he's got a great stage presence and he's very theatrical in his concerts, he's not an actor, especially not at this point, like not a film actor. So to have him play a part where he doesn't have any lines, so he doesn't have to worry about trying to remember lines and emote properly and all that he can you put him in this this role, he's just mute and he walks around he stabs some guy with a bike and looks menacing perfect and i loved it mm-hmm. and uh, joanna merlin was the bag lady and she was also creepy as all hell
2: is that the one that hugged uh donald Pleasants and like yes, yes. His hand or whatever like, no one no had that hand? on him
1: yeah and the, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> had the ants crawling on her face at one point oh, God. Oh, those, those ants, ants.
2: Oh, There's bugs, everywhere. bugs
1: throughout the the whole movie. Oh, um,
2: also, I'd like to say that the Beatles were killed in this movie.
1: Okay, yes.
2: I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that they definitely killed bugs in this movie, but they, I'm pretty sure they did.
1: Yeah, it's it's entirely possible. I can't it's find anything to by. say one way or the other, but
2: I don't think they do PETA for that either, because it's I don't think so.
1: I don't know how stringent they were at that stage of of Hollywood. Especially for
2: insects. I don't know. Anyway, I I I thought that was a funny thing.
1: Well, but I know in some movies, like I remember specifically Men in Black, there was a uh, a whole thing about how they couldn't actually harm a single cockroach in making that movie. So like the scenes where Will Smith stomps on the cockroaches, those are little mustard packets that he's stomping on. Um, So
2: maybe they didn't. I don't know. When
1: will we defend the rights of little mustard packages? Damn it. (laughs) (sighs) Well, you start the PETA. Yeah, you start the PETA-like agency for that, and we'll back (laughs) you, okay?
3: Condiments. Thank you. Gotta save the condiments.
1: But there were were a lot of bugs and creepy crawlies, and, like, this movie builds atmosphere, especially the first half of it. Um, And... To do all of that on a three million dollar budget is pretty impressive, because they just they just did very simple uh, filmmaking stuff like the shots of the windows where all the worms and stuff are crawling on them. They just shot all that and then played it backwards. So, but it's it's so much eerier and creepier that way when you're watching worms kind of crawl up a window, up. <laughs> and 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 because they're playing it in reverse, it's doing it in an unnatural way too. So it's just even creepier than if it was just a worm crawling up the window. Um, But all the stuff with the the fluid, like it coming out of the canister, is just upside down. But it works. It doesn't... Carpenter has this way of doing something on a low budget and not looking cheap, if that kind of makes sense. That's what he did with, with Halloween as well. But the,
3: the, the uh, liquid sharing scenes were kind of cheap <laughs> in some.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're not the greatest, but when you don't have computers to do that kind of stuff with at all and you have to do the whole hose behind the face and turn the face mm-hmm. away from the camera thing, I think it looked OK. Um, I also love, OK, the dream, the recurring dream that everybody starts having
2: the transmission. Yes. <laughs>
1: from the future.
2: If I start having that dream now, I swear.
1: <laughs> freak what,
3: you didn't visit the
0: church, so you're fine.
2: Okay.
1: Well, uh, Yeah, and it was everybody in proximity to that, right? Because you had to be there. They beamed it to that exact spot. But what I liked was, again, a very uh, simple but effective way to create that uh, uneasy look and feel to it was they shot that scene on video instead of film. And then they filmed it off of a TV screen for the off movie. Off of a CRT, yep. So it gives it just an odd feel to it. And I just love, like, that's old school filmmaking where you don't have the money to do stuff. Like, you don't have any kind of post-processing you can do to the to the film stock in order to make it look weird. So you come up with a different way to do that. And I like that, and I love that dream sequence. And I like how they they slowly give you a little bit more every single time and then the last one is different something has changed and that's kind of a cool tropey thing that can happen in horror movies too is that whole like it's a it's the fake out ending but there's mm-hmm. a reason for it to be the fake out ending here that's narrative to the story that i kind of liked
2: can 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 i complain go for it that this is the second dream within a dream bullshit thing that we've had in this season of taking over your show. <laughs> like, the friggin dream within a dream. And of course, you know, I, I got scared when he woke up and it was the other dream. I just, like, freaked out. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, it's an love- effective like storytelling bit.
2: I don't so. like it. And then the I ending will- was the fake out. That's I mean, just... I love how they did the mirror.
3: Played with Mercury. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. They took they took the mercury out of their camera cranes. They drained it out of the camera cranes and put it in a pool, and then had to use prosthetic arms to reach into the mercury. Hmm. And, didn't but use they use the tr- real arms? Damn it!
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I think and they then, wasted that when they cut them off. They had to cut off the real arms, true. and then it was you know they didn't have yeah. extra arms.
1: Yeah, and then the reverse of that was just shot in a pool that they covered, so mm-hmm. that it would look that way. Um, which again, I mean, it's low budget and you can tell it's low budget, but it doesn't look cheap. It just looks like low budget filmmaking. There's something different about the way Carpenter can do that, that some producers and directors just don't quite get. I don't, I think it's that also that he tends to like to shoot, he works with cinematographers and he likes to shoot in anamorphic widescreen and get the really wide lenses and, there's something to the like the overall look of the lighting and the composition of the shots that even when it's cheaper effects, they look better. It's sort of like how Halloween, for its $325,000 budget, spending all that money on the Panaglide to then do these handheld shots made the shots look better because of that investment in that camera gear to have a nicer camera and a, and a smoother experience so you could do those handheld shots. He does stuff like that a lot, and I like that. Because it just makes his movies look better, and they're better. They're they're more rewatchable in that way. Uh, for me, anyway. I don't know. I don't know if you guys think differently, but
2: yeah, he's just so talented. It's like when you got the talent, you could make the cheapest, you know, worst production of a movie even you know make it look good. Whereas somebody who doesn't have the same skill and talent, like exactly, it's just. It's just his talent that you know. If he has all the right pieces,
1: yeah. I mean, are his movies perfect? No. Has are all his movies good? Not really. There's a couple stinkers <laughs> yeah. in there. No. Um, but it's, I will like, die
3: on the hill if Ghost of Mars is great. <laughs> uh,
1: but have like, I seen that? have I seen we, that? I don't. And I know, I know that I brought this up when we all talked about um, Halloween and then Slumber Party Massacre. And how different those two feel in terms of, like, they're both made for roughly the same budget, mm-hmm. but the feel of the two of them. Not saying that Slumber Party Massacre is is terrible, because as I did say, I had fun with it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. one of them looks like it was made for $300,000, you know, and a case of beer. And the other one doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, Halloween doesn't give you the feel of a movie that was made for almost no money And But, you know, something like Slumber Party Massacre or other movies of that era that were made around that same time and that same budget feel like that. And that's what Carpenter, that's to your point, Monica, of like that skill and that ability and that vision to to just set things up right. um, I thought was really cool. Um, Let's see. I'm trying to think of some of my notes here. Uh, Carpenter states that he set out to make a film that was atmospheric and dreadful and at the time was noticing a lot of dis, uh, derivative horror films and wanted to try something new involving quantum mechanics and religion. Cuz apparently he was like reading books on theoretical physics or quantum mechanics and was like, "Hmm, this might be fun to put into a movie." <laughs> you know, like you do. Just pick yeah. up. A, I'll just pick up Watch this book quantum on quantum leap. theory.
2: This is my theory. <laughs> he was like, "I'm going to make that but different with the devil and stuff."
1: And that, mi- that mixing of science and religion, uh, I think was neat. I was thinking about this today. And this is something that I've I have said many times before when dealing with certain movies. But I haven't said it for a while, and I kind of feel like this is a perfect case for it. This is a very high-concept movie. Imagine this in like a six-episode series where you've got some time to let your characters grow a little bit so you so you care more about them. Because if I have one complaint, it's that the movie's runtime of an hour and 40 minutes and the ensemble nature of the casting, you don't really care a ton about the characters um, in the way that you might in a movie where it's like you have your protagonist and that's the person and then everyone's sort of around them. But if you took this and... Stretch it out a little bit, you know, maybe your first episode, you don't even go to the church yet, but you, you give it more time to build and you can dive into the, the questions that it's asking about uh, science versus religion versus kind of human nature um, and, and all that. I feel like this would make a great, like, limited series to take the same yeah. concept and just stretch it out.
3: How many days were they there? Just do a, an episode a day or a day for an episode.
1: They weren't even I think they were only there for like a day and a half cuz they came in one okay. day they were there overnight and the next morning everything ended. So okay. you you could almost do like some real time where like an hour long episode is an hour of the night. Um there's there's a lot of ways you could you could spin that. I don't know what what do you think Monica? Does that sound like something that would be interesting like to take this concept and do?
2: Um you know, honestly With the last, uh, what I've been seeing in television, you know, like watching the Chucky series and what was it, Ash and the Evil Dead, and there's a third one that's really escaping my brain right now, but the way they're able to bring stuff that was, like, either a reboot or just, like, an, you know, extended telling of a story into a series, like, absolutely. Like, they could... I absolutely show up to watch a show about that you know i think they could really make that into into something great
0: yeah how about you dread well i'd be interested in seeing that yeah because there's kind of uh maybe an anthology kind of thing even like that's throwing some dreams in there
1: ah
3: say probably end the episodes with somebody going to sleep and getting that transmission
1: That'd be kind of a neat way to do it. You get a little bit more every episode, and mm-hmm. you start to fi- find out more. Plus, you can again, you can dive into some of the stuff, like some of the scientific aspect of things and what yeah. they're testing, because they didn't, they don't have enough time to really tell you like what they're doing. So you just get bits and pieces. Like, oh, I was testing the corrosion, and I was, you know, the there's Carbonding. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, no, we're we're even mini series. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. For the mini series. Yeah. Each episode, for the first part before things start going crazy, follow one of the students. It's all about what they are doing, their quick interactions with with some people when they show up, but then just keep following that one person for that episode until they go to sleep and have that transmission dream.
2: And then the next episode, another person. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, this will be an HBO show, (laughs) Monica. Well, yes, of course.
2: Called
1: nightly transmissions. Boy, now it does sound dirty. You just yeah, made it well, much more dirty.
2: You she said transmissions. So.
1: Yeah, well, transmission—that's well, what dream. they called it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. No, no, no. Saying.
1: But 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 transmission dream is one thing. But when you start calling it nightly transmissions, now it's getting <laughs> now we're really we're getting into well. Dirty when do territory. you
2: dream? I'm just saying. I'm just <laughs> um,
1: saying. Cinemax well, yeah, late I, at night. <laughs> I just I just like the idea because like the priest character, for instance, Donald Pleasance here's a guy who's had his entire worldview just upended and he's trying to figure it out. And like, I, I want to dive more into that and his, is he having a crisis of faith at all? Or is it just, he's trying to reconcile that into what he knows and what the church has done. And then he has the line talking about um, how they're, you know, they're just salesmen selling their product to whoever doesn't have it. Uh, and how the, like the, it's really interesting stuff that I think could, warrant having just more exploration into it so you could have an entire episode involving him or have a through thread where he's talking to people about this because there's also like the skeptical students versus the students that are a little bit more open to the maybe the idea or somebody that was raised like the one character you could tell was raised Catholic because when they all come into that room to see it for the first time one of them crosses himself the rest of the students don't but the one student does so there's you got a Catholic student there like there's a lot of neat stuff you could go with on there. I just, I was thinking well, yeah, about that I earlier. Like,
3: I mean, the the priest would be episode one because it would deal with the the older priest dying, him yep. getting the box and told to take care of things and going from there. And then it would bring in the students and Wong's character. Is he still alive? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so Brian. Um, and Professor Birak and the uh, the priest and Walter all survived.
2: Oh no, I meant in real life is Victor Wong still alive?
1: Oh, Victor Did he come Wong can do anything. I'm pretty sure. Uh. Pretty sure he passed away a few years ago. Uh, no, Damn 2001. it, Donald
2: Pleasance, are you up there together? they are up there looking. Yeah, dumb.
0: 2001. Uh, so that's uh,
2: <laughs> a, long a time few ago. years
0: ago. A F- Few years. I mean, years.
2: also the priest. Was all like at the end while he's strapped to the chair. He's like, "I stopped it. I stopped it." I'm like, I "Feel like she stopped it, maybe."
1: You I mean, helped, yes, but she yes. sacrificed
2: she, herself. I stopped
0: at her six times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I hit you the
3: know, six times. <laughs>
1: it's you're right, but it's also like he's just elated that they stopped it. That it was for finished. Oh, should have been should have been <laughs> we instead of I. <laughs> he was just
2: like God. Where are he was like Where are you, Christ? Where well, and you? that's that
1: whole thing where he's hiding behind the furnace. There is again. There's that that crisis of faith, and he's going through reading out of the book and and all of that. Like there's something more that you could expand on. I'm not saying you do that in the movie. I don't think this movie needs to be longer than it is, because if you go much beyond an hour forty five in a single movie with the pacing that they have in this it's going to start to feel like it drags. Yeah. Um but a longer form series where you can break it up into episodes I think there's a lot you can do in there. Uh, so I just think that that would be kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um what did you think of some of the uh special effects? Um like her the the makeup on Kelly when she gets fully uh <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody fully feel taken over.
2: um like evil daddy kind of feeling with the makeup a little bit yeah like that's what I, got, I was getting the vibe of like i was waiting for her to stick a pencil in someone's ankle
1: <laughs> i did like though that like uh susan when she would when she got possessed all that changed was her not wearing her glasses anymore
2: oh she got sexy you noticed that, i mean right? she yeah no. she had
0: that typical she, 80s she uh got nerdy that, like, girl
2: with the glass down, no glasses no <laughs> But, like, demonic eyes.
1: But there wasn't, like, a huge physical... Man- like, Lisa didn't change. Uh, there wasn't any sort of, like... Even though they got infected by the liquid, they didn't... Yeah. It, Kelly, Kelly was the only it. one that had, like, the, the skin, like... Oh, she had all the liquid.
2: Yeah, that's she... Had she a liquid yeah, baby. She got that soaked... The liquid baby soaked into her body <laughs> and caused the lesions or whatever. Holy crap. She was, and also somewhere in between there, like a Freddy Krueger kind of like feel with. Yeah. The skin was,
1: well, whatever. and it's the combination of things too. Cause it's all the skin, the way the skin is like almost boils and falling off, but then her eyes are stark white and she's like, got them open real wide for the end of the movie. And then the teeth on top of that, where they almost look metallic. It was really, really weird, and it just—it was a unsettling image. Uh, and they—they they weren't shy about showing it either, and showing it in broad, you know, bright light. So, yeah, I liked it. I thought that that was like—that th- that's a memorable visual moment uh, from this. Is that's what just... I
2: remember from from the the clips that I had seen from the In Search of Darkness thing. I was like, mm. oh, she looks cool as hell. <laughs> I gotta watch this movie. What's going on here?
1: And even like the, the people that died, uh, the most you get is, you know, they put a bandage around what's-his-name's neck because he shoved a chair <laughs> yeah. leg in there.
2: Chuckles. He was like a I... friggin' clown laughing at himself. <laughs> me- I'm like waiting for him to catch Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance is talking back there, like whispering. Yeah. I'm like, shh, old man, what the hell? You're gonna get caught and killed
1: but it was it was a weird thing, too. It was almost like he was partially possessed, but fighting it, and the mm-hmm. laughing was like and it it was so odd and there there's no like there's no explanation for any of it, which mm-hmm. is another part of it that I really enjoy is it shit just happened, and we don't need to have every little piece of it explained. We can just sort of intuit it ourselves and i I liked that because even um dr Leahy, peter jason's character he looks pained and like hurting, but he's he's also still sort of trying to attack. Even while he's laying on the ground, like he makes one last ditch attempt to, to grab somebody, but then his face just looks like every movement and just his his continued existence hurts. So, yeah. Um, I had, uh, let's see. the Oh, okay. This to me was a shot that I had forgotten about. And it's so simple. It's such a simple little moment, but it looks so cool. Is when he looks out at the moon and he sees the full moon and then they rack focus. They pull and it uh, goes from the moon to the leaves of the tree obscuring the moon. Like it's such a simple moment in the movie, but for some reason I just love the look of it. And I I love a good rack pull anyway, but that one in (laughs) (laughs) particular... That particular shot, because when it's focused on the moon, they have it framed in such a way that you can't really see that there's anything blocking the moon from from your view until the focus changes. So, that was one that I really enjoyed. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, uh, da, 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 what was the other one? Oh, bag lady's voice creeped me out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, her her one he modulated dialogue. it down a little bit. I think. <laughs> but not like the first words out of her mouth they didn't do it and yeah. then they modulated and then it it
0: afterwards and it goes down then it goes up again to the next
1: sentence she said and then it was like Rrr. yep uh i did capture that and uh it sounds sounds like this it's so
0: wonderful what you're
1: doing father opening the church again oh it's a, it's such a simple effect but it's effective it works and
0: it's an effect that screams
1: demonic mm-hmm. Like, yep, yep. Uh, which was a lot better than the other voice modulation they did which was on the one guy uh, the one student who is like you know what screw this i'm out and leaves but gets attacked by the bag lady which when he gets attacked by the bag lady so he's standing <laughs> one of the uh, things in the early part of the movie is there's scenes where there's dialogue going on but we don't hear it which I always kind of enjoy too, because you're sort of like, now I'm like, damn it, what are they talking about? I want to know. Like, I want to know what the conversation between Donald Pleasance and Victor Wong was before they went inside the building.
0: But there's that scene oh, I can where tell you, I have uh, the audio for that. I oh, shot him
3: six times.
0: He kept saying that to everyone. Like the priest
1: next to him is like six times, six times. They're all like, Jesus Christ, dude. You knew you were going to play that. Right? Yeah. I, I, I saw it coming, but still. Good, that's good work. Um, but there's the scene where, um, what's his name? Um, Calder, Lomax, and Frank are outside. And the, the first shot of it is the three of them, they're very small in the frame. And so you got this feeling of like it's almost like, uh, Monica, one of your kind of solitude shots, even though there's three people in it, they feel so isolated and separated from everything at that point. They're in LA right this isn't like a small this isn't Haddonfield, illinois this is los angeles mm-hmm. but they feel so alone there and then they leave and there's frank and the bag lady attacks him he turns around and sees all the homeless people there but the uh, bag lady when she runs at him with the the half of scissors um that wasn't like they did that by having an actor hold that in place and they drove um the background they moved the background behind them like a truck with like a brick facade to
2: Whoa. give it that
1: motion look. I was which saying is...
2: it looked weird too. I was just exactly. like, what is that? It was kind right? of like, Oh, it's reminding me of something. Damn it. I'm not going to be able to remember it, but there's something about the perspective of that. That made me feel,
1: <sighs> it feels weird and it doesn't feel natural. It's the same yeah. thing as running the the worms backwards on the window. Like it's a simple gag to do. And you you don't think about it until, and then when you're told, like, oh, okay, now I get why that felt so weird. But in the moment, it's just like, that just looks weird. I don't get it. Um, And then she stabs him, and then later on, he's, you know, full of bugs. Um, Which, that's another kind of creepy moment. Unfortunately, the voice modulation for me in that scene isn't quite as effective as uh, Bag Lady. Uh, But I did capture that, too.
0: I've got a message for you, and you're not going to like
2: it. I mean, it's like underwater. Please <laughs> the uh, dance floor.
1: Yes.
2: Freakazoids. <laughs> it's like it's he's about to do a dance song. That's what it sounds like. Like yes. 80s dance he, song.
1: He's opening for Daft Punk. That's what's going on there. Very <laughs> good. Um yeah. Um, world around
2: the world.
1: But but that one that that wasn't quite as it still worked because of the visuals. But it, the voice wasn't as creepy as Bag Lady. I mean, this is just. It's so wonderful
0: what you're doing, Father. Opening the church again. I know it's what they're whole... going for. It's just with all the the bugs there, it's them who are making the sound. So you need to have like the multiple. Yeah. So, i don't think the idea is better than the execution, maybe, but I, I can't look past
1: that then. Oh sure, um, but yeah, the I just that was that stood out to me. Uh, also, um, uh, the thing that grossed Scott out the most um, <laughs> would be the the sound when uh, Susan um, infects Calder. So the scene with Lisa is cool. creepy enough because like Lisa wakes up and there's just Susan crawling onto the bed. Mm-hmm. And and over her, and then just spits that stuff in her mouth. But when when they when they the two of them attack Calder, and she does kind of the same move, and she crawls up, but she kind of like the the kissing motion, and then there's that gurgling sound where you you don't see it, but you know that what's happening is the the was fluid going. I waiting for like them. an
0: empty straw, and a you know, you're sucking a trying and the gets <laughs> empty. Like <laughs> I was waiting for that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, are they feeding on him or are they infecting him? Why is she making out with him now? Like, uh, why is this change happening?
1: Yeah, it was odd, but also like, it was just really unsettling. It was did you just
2: capture the sound.
1: Uh, I did not capture the gurgling sound. It ah. was too much. It's too much for
2: that? me. Can you played it for Scott.
1: <sighs> I might do that. Um, but yeah, that was then. That's right around the hour and two minute mark uh, is what I wrote down, and that was. I was just like, ew, blah, blah, blah. that's gross. Um, yeah, I, I really... Uh, I did capture a couple other pieces of audio. Um, so I liked... I always like when you get some name of like a secret society. And in this case, I just liked... The Brotherhood of Sleep. The Brotherhood hmm. of Sleep. I want to be a member of the...
2: Oh yes. The Brotherhood ah, of Sleep. Sexist.
1: Um... Well, they were all priests, so, in the yeah. Catholic Church. Um, I also like the way Donald Pleasant says, says erased. And improperly erased. Erased.
2: erased. erased. Erased.
1: That book, see, there's another thing. If you do the the short-form series of this, the mini series, you can spend a lot more time looking at that book and going over that book and all the oh, stuff yeah. where they had the just, Latin scratched out with Greek, scratched out with just whatever. Because like.
0: they were supposed to be there like a weekend and yeah. uh, you get like halfway past that and they show uh, Lisa wh- who's translating slash uh, computerizing it, I guess. Uh, and she's like 10 pages in. they you're like, <laughs> you're going to beat her a while, girl. Um, that's, that's gonna That's it. A big book. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of pages <laughs> in that book. Um,
2: well, she sped up later on.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, while well, she was just typing, I, I live, I live, I live.
2: Definitely, Which again, is another. Definitely a Jack Torrance moment, though, when oh, he yeah. walks up and sees that.
1: Yeah, and, and again, like a, an effectively creepy scene that is nothing but her just staring, typing without looking. And oh, it's yeah. just. Because <laughs> he comes in, he's like, come on, we're going to. We're having a meeting, you Lisa? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lisa, and he just keeps and and nothing, nothing from her. And uh, I, w- I would just be like, you know what, you keep doing <laughs> what you're doing, later. we're gonna <laughs> yep. uh, we'll, uh, we'll check on you in a little while. Not would job. not go closer.
0: I did um, like the typing in that thing, it was like, the, uh, he won't save you, and he won't save you, and uh, in fact, he won't be saved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he just keeps reading, he's like. Uh, oh, at that dude. point he's invested uh.
1: like <laughs> she's now talking to him through the computer so and then to turn around and there's Susan and they just attack you oh jeez oh, um I also I had to get this because it was too funny not to this is Frank again you're out of your minds this is a joke this is Kaka. <laughs> this is Kaka.
2: I caca. love when Kaka
0: is used in uh in
1: English, isn't that great?
0: Because kaka. we uh, in, in Dutch uh, actually "kaka" is shit. So yeah. I don't, I'm not used to hearing it in English. So when <laughs> they use it and they pronounce it, like, I'm like,
2: oh, that's, that's in Spanish too. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I have that one, and also "kaka" because he says it twice. "Kaka," we're such right, derision too. So right there, yeah. Um,
0: I had, a, I, had, I had a funny one.
1: Oh, go for it.
3: Look, am I crazy, or are we stroking ourselves heavily
0: here? <laughs> oh my! Did he just say that? What?
1: Wait, what? <laughs> yep. It was one I didn't capture it, but it was the other one where they go. <laughs> uh, I Him and it. Brian. Him, him, and Brian go downstairs looking for Mullins. Right, that—that's their job. They're—they're they're going to try to find Mullins. Brian starts to walk forward towards where Mullen's body is laying, <laughs> but he only goes like part way. And he's just sort of, eh, I guess he's not here. I'll just give up. I won't, I won't continue searching the entire room. And meanwhile, you got Dennis done like, ah, he's probably off boffing the radiologist. I'm like, wow, there's dating your movie. I don't know anyone who's ever used the term boffing. Oh, um, oh, and, uh, I, I, hope they're both on their way to a nice Chinese restaurant. <laughs> which yeah, yeah. it had to be chinese but yeah. but is he saying that in a literal sense or is that a euphemism I'm not familiar with
2: I think I was like racist
1: <laughs> so either way it's a is a weird thing to say but I just like why well, Brian didn't just I keep to walking be a over euphemism there? I kind of do too He
2: made he made that it other comment be, to the other girl eating out Wait. From
0: now on, mm. it's canon uh, it's a euphemism. We decide right here, right now. Okay. There we go. There we go. Yeah. All right. We have now made it. Um, we have to
2: write this on the internet where it belongs.
1: L-
0: let John Carpenter know,
1: please. Thank you. It will do. <laughs> or uh, I know him
2: personally, so I. Or as him. he is
1: credited in the movie, um, Martin Quartermass. And Martin
2: Quartermass.
1: Just mm-hmm. John Carpenter. Um, I also got uh, two lines from Donald Pleasance because, again, this is the thing I'm talking about where, like, more time dive into this stuff because I liked these lines. I liked.
0: A stupid lie. We were salesmen. That's all. We sold our product to those Prouded. who didn't have it.
1: Product. But what I love about Donald Pleasance and those, those kinds of lines is just the, the delivery of them it really feels like just a person talking to other people. Like, there's no... I don't feel acting in those moments with the way that he delivers lines. Uh, and then...
0: They tell us what we want to hear.
1: He sounds very tired, too. Yeah. This was, this was towards the end for him. Uh, well, no, I guess he was... 94, I think he passed away.
2: No, he so, was in... um.
0: Had to do some crap. give You a Halloween movie?
2: Yeah, he was in ninety five. Yeah. So ni- ninety
1: five. So he was still seven years after this movie. Seven eight years.
2: Yeah, and he did but, like three. He did three more Halloween movies after this, right? Because 89, yeah. and ninety five. Yeah. 96. Yeah, he. Uh, so
1: he got to work he had with some Carpenter with him. <laughs> he worked with Carpenter again before going back to Halloween. So there's that. Um. Yeah, that's what I captured. Those are the audio clips that I got. So, uh, Caca. You know.
0: Caca. Oh.
1: um, yeah, I I really enjoy this movie. Now, the the Apocalypse trilogy I did mention earlier, and I just want to touch on that really quick. That was the thing, this movie, and In the Mouth of Madness. Three movies that are not connected in any way via cast. Uh, story production company um, distributor none of that. It's uh, just that John Carpenter made them, um, but it's a thematic trilogy, and I like that they're different versions of this sort of end of the world, uh, everything's gonna go to hell um, type of stuff. I do think of the three of them. For me, this is the th- the third. If I'm ranking them um, yep. in that list, um, and I have a feeling I know Dred's favorite of the three uh, because it's pretty easy to uh, to guess that one. Um, I, I'm yeah, right in Dredd's guessing easy. it's The Thing, correct? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you yep. son of a bitch. We knew we'd wave for his face, too. Yep. Huh. Uh,
1: huh. Uh, but I know you like In the Mouth of Madness the best of those three, and I get it, and it's a very, Great it, that, it's very, very good. Um, Monica, do you have a favorite of the three?
2: Um, I've only seen In the Mouth of Madness once when I was okay. very young. And I feel like I missed a lot of uh like the themes and stuff. I didn't know anything about, you know, Lovecraft back then, so Sure. I definitely need to watch it again. There was stuff that flew over my head. I was creeped out by it. Um but I'm going to say the thing for now until I rewatch In the Mouth of Madness.
1: Sure, that's fair. Faye, how about you?
2: In the Mouth of Madness. With the thing very close.
0: Well, yes,
1: obviously, but still, you know. I I make my
2: stipulation. I (laughs) got to watch it again.
1: I put the thing just above In the Mouth of Madness, but it's more so for, I just have a, I have more of a connection to that movie. I've seen Mm -hmm. it more times. Um, But In the Mouth of Madness for me is probably, if not my favorite Lovecraftian film um, it's like the second best one that I've seen or eh, it's probably still my favorite one. Um, because it's because they adapted the ideas of Lovecraft instead of doing a story, um, mm-hmm. which I think works better. Uh, but it's that cosmic horror thing. All three of those movies, the thing that Prince of Darkness and in the mouth of madness are cosmic horror and it's stuff beyond the comprehension of humans, but in three very different ways. The thing is a very physical, very visceral, um, experience in that movie and the paranoia that comes with that and dealing with you know the thing Uh, whereas this movie is a lot more philosophical and it's dealing with what could be happening and what's going on and they're trying to to do something about it but they don't fully understand what they're even dealing with and then you throw in the whole you know message from the future angle of things and which was from the far-off year of 1999.
0: I know. We'll have to be careful then. Yeah.
2: Maybe that's yeah, there why might they're be partying. a horrible
3: movie made about it.
2: <laughs> Maybe that's why they're partying like it's 1999.
1: That must be it. Um, End of the world. So, we talked a little bit, too, about the the cliffhanger of an ending. Um, the ambiguous mm-hmm. ending. Uh, I'm going to start with Faye. What did you think of that, both basically from the moment of like the dream starting again and we get the different version of it with the same exact uh, audio but longer and then we see a different um, person coming out of the building and we get the longer version of that what did you think of that and then everything that happened with Brian as an ending
3: son of a <laughs> uh-huh. all Fair that enough. all that for nothing
1: <laughs> yeah how about how about you dread
0: I'm going to say also, son of a, but in a good way. <laughs> I liked it. I mean, if you're going You know, I like my non happy endings in written, like so. I'm okay with
1: maybe, maybe not endings. Yeah. So. And Monica, you didn't like it because of the whole dream in a dream. You don't like
2: Remember? that. You're just, like, it's kind of like. Um just i can't think of the movie there's other movies that end like that where it's like it doesn't you know the ambiguous ending mm-hmm. and it's just you know because i'm sitting there i'm like oh is he gonna be able to go through son of yeah so yeah it's a definitely son of a yeah. we <laughs> apparently not saying that we're on agreeing show. on that one <laughs> yeah but it's like, done oh, like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen Ugh, come on
1: but the trope of you know the trope is that horror movies never end with a with a definitive ending or they give you that last that one last twist or that Question one last mark. scare. Yeah. <laughs> the,
3: the
2: end. Yeah. Well, like if something this, reached I'm out, at you certain something that reached came out, really. <laughs> if something reached out and grabbed his hand, I feel like that not, have made me feel because then you'd
0: be like, it's a dream. It's a dream within a dream within a dream.
2: Or, you know, it depends what kind of hand mm-hmm. came out and grabbed him or whatever. But that'd be a different a different story. But this is kind of like, ooh, what could happen? But we're not going to make a sequel or nothing, so live here. <laughs> That's it. You just live here now.
1: But I guess my question then is, like, it's a trope to do this kind of an ending in a horror film. Um, however, this felt like it was at least earned. Mm-hmm. with the story like that they the were trope telling would have been what
0: monica said that something yes. came out and grabbed
2: yeah that, that, would, that have would have been the trope. oh for
0: sure yeah.
2: the horror movie trope but no. it's definitely like doesn't make doesn't ruin the movie it's just one of those like damn it i want more <laughs> i definitely wanted more well
1: uh-huh. good that's good then the movie did did something right in making you want more of it even if you didn't angry, get
2: angry but more <laughs> like like we're gonna fight, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> keep you in my life. I'm gonna there continue go. to watch you, and every time, be still at the end, be waiting for it to change because that's <laughs> what we do as movie watchers. We're like maybe it'll be different this time.
1: Something nah. something new will happen now. Faye, you were gonna say <laughs> okay. something. No. Nah. Okay. Um, if yeah, I, I was just don't remember. <laughs> okay. Well, I I like I like that uh, the way that this one goes and I like that it starts off with the dream sequence again, but now we get the full thing. We get the, the entirety of it only instead of it being the weird shadowy figure, it's, um, Catherine coming out of there. And because now like we have no idea what would happen. So, and, and because they changed things in the past, the people in the future, there's no difference to what they said. Um, So I kind of, I just enjoyed that because again, with the way this movie is structured and the way that it built to that moment, it doesn't feel like a cheap, uh, ending. It feels like they earned getting to do that type of thing with the ending of their movie and then to leave it ambiguous. Um, the other thing was people mentioned that, uh, He reaches out with his left hand to the mirror instead of his right hand, which I think in the movie he's shown to be right-handed, but he's, for whatever reason, reaching left-handed towards the mirror, which she did, uh, Kelly did when she was possessed. And there's a whole right-hand, left-hand thing in Catholicism. so Yeah. The the left hand being the evil uh, dark side or whatever.
2: Ironic, because I think if you... If you were going to worry about getting a hand cut off or whatever, most right-handed people are going <laughs> to put their left hand out first. That's what I'm going to do because I'm like, I want to protect the hand that's going to, you know, be able to, uh, you know, do, yeah. wipe and stuff. She had
0: to use her strong hand. <laughs>
1: Oh boy. Well, I'm
2: learning so much on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and so are you, dear listener.
1: <laughs> so are we. Um, well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh I had a feeling that this would be one that you would kind of enjoy. Um And
2: I've been w- I waited for you. I waited for you. Somebody wanted me to watch it earlier and I'm like, "No, I'm going to wait for the show."
1: And I appreciate Early that. Atmosphere. Yeah. And uh and I think that uh I think that it was worth it. Um in the end. And this was a good conversation, uh, as we always have. And look, if you like hearing our conversation about this movie, we do this all the time. The four of us on a show called gore.
2: Gore. Um, we do.
1: Yeah. I was Monica, not informed of this.
2: <laughs> I didn't get the memo. Monica, tell
1: people about that show and where it can be found.
2: Well, we do a horror podcast called gore. As Travis just said, you can find that at, uh, <laughs>
0: yes, uh, uh, <laughs> ha 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 ha, ha. <laughs> uh,
2: <dot> <laughs> Anchor.fm slash Gore Podcast. Yeah, that's where you can find it, or follow us on Twitter at Gore Podcast. And you know, we have an episode coming out this Friday. It's Halloween 2 Another Donald Pleasance movie. Just you know. Very exciting. Yeah.
1: It's, tis it was, the season, right?
2: Wasn't planned. Oh, wait. Maybe it was.
1: Yeah. Kind of was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> it's but yeah, that's a show. <laughs> it's a show that comes out uh, every two weeks. And um, we've been having a lot of fun with that. We've, we, part of what I like about it is that we cover the classic horror movies and some of the cheesy horror movies and of a varying air quotes quality right because i mean horror movies are kind of all gonna fall into usually a cheesy category at some point they just kind of go that way but but some of them more so than others but but we don't limit ourselves to one type of horror movie either we'll watch slumber Party massacre or killer clowns from outer space or the stuff those all Um, sounded
2: the same by the way uh (laughs) We did watch Psycho but, at one point so remember. Right, but we also we
1: also watched Psycho or Halloween or um, Friday the 13th. So the classics um, as well. So It's, it's a lot of fun, so definitely.
2: Old.
1: Definitely check that out. Uh, now this week was John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Guess what? Next week I'm doing another John Carpenter movie. Um our, our good friend, Brian Ibbitt, is going to come on to the show. He's never seen the original Halloween or any film in the Halloween franchise. Um, so at <sighs> least we're going to start him off with one that's worth watching. Um, but he's never seen that before, so he's coming on to talk about Halloween, the original, 1978, John Carpenter. Um, I am excited for this. I can't wait to talk about... Uh, I love talking about this movie in general, um, but to have somebody who I know is a film buff and a film person and has his own uh film podcast that he does um called film sack and to talk with him about that's gonna be a lot of fun so definitely come back next week uh and check that out and you can um you can watch the show recorded live at twitch.tv slash tv stravis every sunday night at 8 p.m eastern time uh, or it comes out as a podcast on wednesdays uh, anywhere you get your podcasts TV's travis.com is a quick way to find it if you, uh, because I made it very SEO unoptimized. Um, every time Brian mentions it, he always has to say, wait, you haven't seen dot, dot, dot question mark. <laughs> and it makes me laugh every time. Um, so, uh, you can do that. Also, uh, the show has a Patreon now, uh, patreon.com forward slash uh, W Y H S. and you can support the show. I did just get uh, given a really good idea of a patron-level perk that will be going live soon. So you'll want to check that out um, because I think that'll be fun. So uh, definitely uh, do that, or you can go to ko-fi.com slash TVstravis if you don't want to uh, subscribe via Patreon, but you still want to support uh, the channel and the shows and the things that I do. Um, Also, if you do become a patron, you do get... The podcast episodes early Um, they come out on the patreon feed on usually uh, Mondays instead of Wednesdays so uh, also the show is on YouTube if you didn't catch it live you can watch the recording of the video on YouTube Um, and I need more subscribers so I can get the vanity URL
0: Uh, you're getting that soon
1: Oh, that's right. They changed that, didn't they? They're, they're going to handles now it's, or something. Uh, in two weeks
0: at the latest everyone should have
1: it. Mm. So once that, once I have that, I can give a better link than, uh, <laughs> than just go to YouTube and search for weight. You haven't seen because <laughs> right now that's the only real way you can do it. But at any rate, a lot of, a lot of places, to you <laughs> and, yep. a lot of, a lot of, uh, locations and places to listen to me ramble about movies with, uh, with my friends, uh, thank you all three of you for this week and for this whole month. I always look forward to October and I mean, we talk all year on gore, but it's fun to come here and get to always have it be somebody's first time watching a movie. And you guys are great to talk with. So this has been a fun thing to do. I can't wait to do it again next October. Um, so thank you, Monica, for being here all month.
2: Yeah, that's me. Hi.
1: And, and Fay, thank you.
2: <laughs> always.
1: And dread, thank you.
2: You're
0: welcome and thank you for inviting me as always. <laughs> See, I'm a so, you
1: know, polite guy. We're awkward. Mm-hmm. We're all awkward, aren't we? Um, but anyway, that's been What You Haven't Seen. And uh, for Monica, for Dredd and for Faye, this is Travis saying thanks for hanging out. Enjoy your movies. Be excellent to each other.